Broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mike Drop Club. Hosted by Douglas Hammond Dishe. Message received. Message received. You do not need to know what you need. What you need. Just engage with the podcast feed. Just engage with the podcast feed. Providing weekly insights into cool stuff we've read, saw, did, or heard about what made us say, wow, eureka, damn, nothing is off limits. If it motivates and inspires you to reach your goals, then it shall be discussed. Featuring guest interviews from high performers and people of influence and weekly awards for the best mic drop moment. This podcast is guaranteed to leave you pumped up for the week ahead. Don't just live life, make life boom. How you guys doing out there? It's Douglas Hammond DJ for another episode of the Mic Drop Club. Today, as I always say in my intro, today is very special because I have a good friend, a good colleague of mine by the name of Nicholas Kelly. This is somebody that's extremely passionate when it comes to care care within the health and social care industry and care in generally in general for our own health and well-being so he's done some fantastic work and somebody that is a real go-to person when it comes to understanding all the nuances that take place in caring for somebody within an inpatient environment and out in the community or whichever way you want to slice and dice that um, that that scenario. OK, but Nicholas also is a driven, passionate individual. And so I managed to persuade him to get on the show so he can sprinkle some words of wisdom, like how he got into um, the, the work he's in, what drives him, what inspires him. And basically to just wax lyrical for uh, however long as he wishes to wax lyrical for. So with no further ado, Nicholas, how are you doing? I'm good, Douglas. I'm good. Thanks very much for inviting me on. Um, that was an interesting intro. I love your intro. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, you, you have a very um, varied and very um, energizing background. When you read somebody's LinkedIn profile and you know them individually, there's so much stuff that, that you have done, you know, mm. which, which is, goes over and beyond the norm. So on the Mic Drop Club, we really are passionate about sharing um, insights from people who are dynamic, people who are mavericks, people who are willing to push the envelope forward and, and don't really accept the station that they're in, the current role they're in. They have that expansive mindset. And you, Nicholas, are certainly somebody that fits that criteria. So a bit of background, Nicholas, how did you get into the whole social care, care <coughs> environment? Ah, uh, do you know what? I think there's two roots that kind of got me into social care, uh, but predominantly it, it was my mother. So I mean, my mom, mother started working in social care and she was, she was 19. She worked in a care home in West London um, and moved from working from a care home and worked for a council and then worked for a small, a small provider, which then became the largest provider of care in the UK at that time. So she worked, I mean, can I say names? Um, go ahead, go so ahead. She worked, Sorry? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So she worked for, for Goldsboro, who were part of the Booper group. So, you know, so she was she was an old school person working in care. And I, I think she my mom has has a massive passion, which has always been instilled in me. And she and she she gets up at seven o'clock in the morning. She's in, in the office at seven o'clock. She works until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and even now, 
when we're working together, she still goes out and does care work because in OHP, she has service users that she's had for the last 15 years that only want her to look after them. So she still looks after them on, on that basis. So that kind of was, was the initial exposure to care and realizing that actually there is this industry that people are doing that actually you have to have a passion and love to do it. Um, and I kind of wanted, we set up Respect Care, which is our first care agency around 13, 14 years ago now. Um, actually, next week is our anniversary. 14 oh, well years. done. Well so, yeah, done. Yeah, which, which, which is strange. So we set it up. It was, it was us. We set it up in, 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 in West London. It was a very small office. The office was probably about the size, smaller than a box room. Um, I remember... I remember the first day we set we set up we had a computer the computer that we had to to turn on and it took the computer took I don't know an hour to turn on couldn't load up couldn't turn it off because it wouldn't load up and we basically had um, a note on the door that says do you want to sign up for care work and we thought well this is going to be a waste of time and I think we set up at nine o'clock in the morning and no one turned up until about nine o'clock no one turned up ten wow. eleven no one turned up and we were sitting again well, this is a waste of time. <laughs> and, I, and actually we'd, we'd also just set up the whole company yesterday. So it was, it was a massive worry that you know, we've now put all our energy into this one thing and how are we going to make it grow? Yeah. Um, and then seven people came in, seven, seven people walked in and said, one of them walked in and thought it was something else, but everyone else that walked in said, look, it'd be great to kind of understand a little bit more. We signed them up, we put them through the process. And those are, our, we still have those seven people. Those are our seven care workers, 15 years in, still work, doing care work for us. And oh, we'll leave really? and go anywhere. And that, and that, and I, I think I can, I can kind of give you a little bit, I'll give you a little bit more in a bit about the reason why I think people stay with us for that long. But seven years in, they still have the same staff. I don't know most offices that still have the same staff seven years in, in the same company. Um, so that was amazing. So we, we kind of we set it up, and it, we we got a few we got one of, we got one or two clients. And I mean, as you know, in, in, in social care, when you kind of run the care agencies, you can't register with CQC you, because you know you need recommendations. So you basically have to go up and do a whole lot of things before you can get someone to recommend um, to references to be able to do care work. So you can't just set it up straight off the back like that and, and, and get it running. There's, there's a whole lot of rigor that you've got to go through. So we, we spent a, a good part of six, seven months trying to get get clients on board. We were doing cleaning work. We were doing other things that weren't involved in personal care. We did everything we could to try and get those references in place. We, were, we couldn't work at the councils because councils wouldn't touch you unless you were registered and had your rating. So we yeah. just, it, it, it took a lot. That's a challenge. Um, and in that time, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and that's a challenge right there in terms of starting, getting that referenceability. You see that a lot yeah. with established companies that want to enter a new market and have no referenceability. It's a real big issue. And uh, they, I guess they get around it by, you know, they can you can acquire customers. They can literally buy customers, depending on what industry. But social care is one of those ones you can't do that. So. <laughs> No, and I think if, if you're if you what you can see is a lot of um, new age these kind of new um, new challenger companies coming in. What they're doing is they they've gone down the route. There are you know, there's a, a lot of them that you can look in any newspaper that have got oh we've got you know, seven eight million pound backing from six seven ten investors. They you know, we're going to change the way that social care works, and you see they all go in and they try it. And the first thing they go is oh we need to get a CQC rating. Okay. Okay, we need customers. Oh, we can't do personal care because we because that's illegal. But we, we're saying we want to do personal care. Okay, we're going to have to buy a care agency. 
And you notice that a lot of these ones, I mean, there's two or three that you you can even see that have gone off and said, we're going to, we're going to be completely online. We're going to be completely digital. have now started going off and buying brick and mortar uh, care agencies because they realize that actually the online just doesn't work enough. You need, you need a brick and mortar. You need an established care agency because you need to get that rating because no one's going to touch you or work with you unless you've got a good or outstanding from CQC. And the only way you're going to get that is by having that already in place. Okay. So, you know, we, we, coming into the industry is, is ridiculously hard. And I think there are so many barriers in place. And I, and I understand why those barriers are in place to, to, to protect people. But also I think that the barrier is also in place that you have to be, you have to have the financial backing. Sure. So, you mean, another example is you can't go for, con, most contracts you can't go for. And nowadays it's changed, but I remember a, a, a contract we were looking at at one point from Westminster City Council, and you had to have maybe seven million pounds in a bank. You had to have seven million pounds in a bank and an annual turnover over ten million to be able to apply for the contract. Sure, sure. So, so straight away you removed every last person that wasn't one of the sort of your big three or four at that time. And now, but what you've got is those big three or four. There are they there there are. The way that they're looking at the care is they're looking at care as a business. They're not looking at care as an individual. And I think the smaller, medium-sized care agencies are going, well, this person is very important to me. I need to do the best for this person because they, this is my livelihood. And you, when you look at that, every last person as that, not as a, as a whole of, okay, we've got 20,000 20, people we're looking after. Great. We'll just make sure that all our forms are in place. When you look at each person as an individual, each person as a person, you're trying to deliver the best level of care to every last person. And in turn, the whole business succeeds and the whole business will flourish. But when you're, all you're doing is looking at it as a, as a, as a number and a balance sheet, it's very, very hard to deliver very um, person-centered care. And I, and I, and you can see how that's why you know, CQC have changed the way that they, they look at it. So I kind of jumped ahead. So yeah, I kind of did that. And then yeah, so- I left, uh, so I set up, so I set up respect care of my mom. Um, and then I kind of needed, we were, we were, it was growing, but it wasn't growing in any way quick enough or, or doing what I needed to do. So I kind of went back into, into industry. So it was still you know, turning around in the background, still doing a lot, but I was able to kind of go off back into the industry and do freelancing. So I freelanced that um, Unilever for, I think it was three or four years doing API integrations and building apps, building digital solutions. You know, I think the current um, Unilever website, which is 120 plus country websites was there. I helped do some of the mergers of products and um, left, left Unilever and went to, you know, a small media, media agency, went up to, you know, to the likes of work, the likes of AKQA and LBI. Um, and then I got headhunted for Apple, which was uh, amazing, which was an amazing opportunity, which was super cloak and dagger, which I didn't realize I was interviewing for them until I think, I think it was three interviews in before I realized who had actually. Wow. Yeah. Three interviews. Yeah. Was that based in the UK offices as well, the London offices? It, it was based in the UK office, but it wasn't until the third interview that I was told who I was interviewing for. So I got I got a call from a recruiter, and I love getting calls from recruiters, so I normally just ignore and hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a call from a recruiter saying, look, someone's, someone's, um, someone would like me to approach you for a job. Um, they've heard about you, you know, some of the work you've done. Can you come in? I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what. Can you tell me who the client is? No, sorry, I can't tell you the client. Um, it's, I'm on the NDA. Yeah. I'm like, well, you asked me to come in and apply for a job for someone you can't tell me who it is. And it's like, well, no, I can't. Like, okay, fine, I'll go in anyway. Did the first interview and still couldn't, still didn't get told. Um, 
what was going on. Then I did a, a sort of a meeting in a cafe, which was quite an informal and a you know, coffee was still just, there was just generally asked about work I've done and kind of what my understanding of, of the industry is and how I, you know, how I think the future of technology could go. And then the third interview, I went again, I went to a third interview, completely generic building until I walked through the elevators on the actual floor and I saw the logo behind the desk. And I was like, it's all clicked. Yeah. <laughs> it's all clicked so how, how are you feeling at that point when you, you, you suddenly glance and you see the logo What's going through your head and how are you feeling emotionally? I, do you know, I have butterflies. Yeah. There, there's, there's only, there's only a few things that's ever made me really have butterflies and butterflies in this world. And, and that was, I think that was the second time I've ever had it. The first time was, I think the first time was the day that I was allowed to fly um, an RAF jet on my own. And I was like, Wow, You're that's something me... that we need to cover on this conversation. <laughs> yeah. But it, that was like, I was like, "You're going to let me fly this thing." <laughs> wow. But then when I looked at when I looked at the Apple logo, I was like, yeah. "Oh wow, yeah." I need to not mess this bit up because if I've got this far, I've I've done pretty well. And I kind of I remember kind of walking in and there was sort of three people on the panel and it was yeah. it, it it's it felt quite informal and actually. This is sort of things that I've now taken. So all these things I've learned from you, Unilever and, uh, and Apple, and Apple I've taken into into my business. And I think that's what's quite unique again about what we do. But the the way it was so informal, there was it was just asking questions, just like tell me a little bit about you. Oh, I noticed on your social media you do this, this, and this. Can you talk about that? This a bit more, and I was like, oh wow, they've done their research. They've done their research. And it, and it wasn't just, oh, I've looked at your CV on a piece of paper, but it had gone on to my LinkedIn, they'd gone on to my Facebook and my Instagram. And, and even, I think at one point, I think they looked at my old, my very old MySpace account. That's how old it was. Oh my God. Um, and they'd basically just done everything and gone, right, just, just tell us that we, I, I get, we know who you are, but tell us how this, this how you got to this point in your life and, and why you think you want to work for us. And, and, that, uh, and, and, that, I, and that's a very important um situation you're in very very challenging because i guess they've done their research they they're knowing you more than you know them at that at that stage because again cloak and dagger you didn't know it was apple until you saw the logo you enter this room got three people there and now it's some more informal situation because now the the organization that potentially wants to hire you they're more relaxed in terms of you have gone through the filtration process so they're more relaxed, mm-hmm. but potentially the the balance is on the other way, whereby you now are feeling <laughs> more um, nervous, possibly more. I don't know. How does the butterflies no, manifest I'm, I'm, in you? How does the butterflies actually look manifest in you? Sorry. So that well, no, you're right. You're, 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 it's, I think it, it, what what threw me off was this is one of the companies in the world. This is you know this is one of the two or three companies I've ever wanted to work for in the world. Yeah. And I'm, when you think about an interview process, so if you think about when you're going through school and you've been prepped for an interview, every interview you have in a job, you're going in, suit them, do it. You're going in, there's a piece of paper in front of them, they ask them 10 questions, they've got your CV, and that's how you, and you have to perform in that, each question by question, you have to perform mm-hmm. as best as you can. And then they completely flip it, and it's very informal, and it's just a general chat, and that general chat is, is the interview. And it, your brain is like trying to work out, like this isn't normal. Like yeah. I'm expecting an interview to be this way, 
but all of a sudden the interview is completely different and it's this way. So how how do I how do I kind of make sure that I'm getting my answers across but they don't feel so formulaic? So yeah. you know, oh what what do you bring to the table? And you, you you've got in your mind you've got a very fixed answer for that. But that's not what they want. They want to know why you as an individual are going to help and support the company to grow and build on the current business and model and mission of the company. Yeah. So it's not, Oh, you know, uh, I feel like I'm a, I'm a go getter. And you know, I, yeah. people say that I work too hard and that's, that's probably one of my downfalls. No, it's like, well, actually, you know what? <laughs> that's, that's not. I, I like to learn about technology. So I go down rabbit holes. I will start, for example, last night I was working until two o'clock this morning because I started on one, one thing. And then I basically tried to learn how to code something. Then I, pop some headphones on and, and learn how to code, do a bit of coding. And that's what they want to know. Not from the, the coding perspective is, is how do you learn and what is your decision path to get to somewhere? They want someone that one can conform, but people that are free thinkers that are going to continue to keep, keep pushing the yeah. business forward. And I think that was, that completely threw me off. And, and that's something that I've now kind of adapted the way that we interview people. So in, in the, in the business or interview, there's always a HR person that has formal questions. I'm normally sitting in that, in that meeting and I still do, you know, we've got over 200 something staff and I've sat in an interview for every last member of staff because the way I want to know is I want to know if you fit into the ethos of our business. I want to know if you're going to be somebody that comes in and just does your work and go home, or if you're going to be somebody that tries to push us forward and, and see things that I can't see, see things that other people can't see, work out how we can keep growing. Because I mean, as a, as a small family run business, we have to keep growing. Because we can't do, we can't be stagnant. We can't be reactive. We have to be as proactive as we can. And I think that's, I mean, we, I know we're jumping around, but that's kind of why I've gone off and built the technology is because we have to be proactive. We yeah, have exactly. to be able to be ahead of the curve and see things before other people. And we have to use, do a lot more with a lot less, but do the same. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, and I, and I, well, I, Sorry, go ahead. So, 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 so how did it go? How did, how did the interview go? Well, I, I thought I completely um, messed it up um, because I just, I, 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 I think I was very nervous. I walked out and thought that was terrible. That was yeah. one of the worst interviews I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think I left the building, which is in Hanover Grand. So I left the building. I was walking towards the train station. Gone on a train, um, and I lived in you know I lived in Queens Park, so it's about fifteen minutes on the train or so. And I got off the train, um, and I got a call saying, "Great, they'd like you to start on Monday." Oh well, done. Um, and I went, <laughs> "Well done." You, you just you, you just go. For it. <laughs> that was I did so bad. I was like, "No, actually, it was one of the best interviews they've had." And I was like, "Yeah, okay." Isn't Great. that so? Just, isn't that so funny though? Isn't that so funny? Sometimes the interviews that you think you you bombed. You've excelled in. I think there was, I was reading something about from um, a professional actor and I was talking about embracing anxiety, in, in, embracing that state of being vulnerable as well. And also being yeah. able to maintain your, your, uh, your innocence and the sense of who you really are within that state, because that's an endearing quality. If you are able to still communicate the essence of who you are, the, the fact you love technology, the value that you can actually bring, the real you, outside of all the structured um, questions that HR would have been dropping beforehand and all that kind of stuff, that is that is golden. And I'm, all, I'm always fascinated by the people's stories and it always works out that 
when they say, oh my God, that was the worst thing ever. I tell them, generally, just wait, just, 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 just wait. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I think that's, I could have, I could have really thought, I, I did think I did bad and I could have panicked. And but I think I walked out and I thought, I did the best I can. Yeah. And if that's my one shot, fine. Um, I'm sure another opportunity will come around. So yeah, I went, I went there, you know, I was managing a team, I think of 30 or 40 developers, um, which was the largest team I'd ever managed at that point for, you mean, and I think a week into my, my role, I was flown out to you know, California to, to, to manage the launch of, I think it was the iPhone six or iPhone seven. And it, the amount of security, that they do, I mean, as I said, military security is, is, is could learn a lot from, from them. Wow. That's wow, that, how level, much, that level of security. Um, <laughs> oh, you, it, I don't want to go into it, but the, the amount of just, just the sheer logistics and, and security behind you, you've got double, double doors, you've got security doors, you've got security measures, you've got, Emails you can't, email groups you can and can't do. You can't take anything out of the building. You can't take anything, anything digital into a building, into a secure environment. I mean, you're, you're going into rooms that you click that are being pumped full of oxygen. So you're in a, you're in a room from for like 13, 14 hours a day and you don't feel tired. You walk outside, take a breath of fresh air and you're like, I, I, I need to have a little nap. <laughs> you, you walk right back in, you're like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a three hours in me. <laughs> Um, They're controlling so yeah, the atmosphere uh, inside the building as well. Yeah. So I, I, so I was there and then I, so then I left, I left um, Apple and then I, again, I got a role, I got um, a hunting for a role at LinkedIn, which was sort of an API integration role. This is, I mean, this is all one side of, and in the background, the, the care agency still got in the background. So in the background, I mean, we've gone from having, one or two clients to now we're providing care for nearly 2000 people. We're doing, okay. we're doing sort of 10,000 hours, 12,000 hours of care a week. We've, we're, I mean, we're, we're working across three or four London boroughs where we're, we're growing. So yeah. I'm now having to kind of manage both of those. So I'm doing my day to day and then I'm getting home and I'm like, we're building, I'm building robustness on building an infrastructure on building online stuff. I'm making sure that we've got recruiting processes in place. I'm building partnerships with people. I'm looking at how we can, we can then do more, more training for the staff. So it, it, there was a lot, I mean, it, there's a lot being juggled on, 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 on two plates. But it, again, I couldn't have done both things if it wasn't for having working with, again, my mother, cause she just loves care. So she's just in there day to day, getting it done and it's someone that I can free and wholeheartedly trust that she's going to deliver on, on that and it's somebody that understands that industry more than I do brilliant so on that but, note um, on that note on that note I think it's important that I interject with all due respect and on this show we like to do what we call mic drop moments and stuff like that and we drop bombs yeah so we want to give your mother right an atomic mic drop, okay? For all her hard work and dedication and love to the care industry, right? Because without your mother, we wouldn't be having this conversation right here. So this is for your mum. Okay, guys, everybody ready? Atomic mic drop. There you have it. There you have it. She is, I know, like I'm, I'll, 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 I'm going to take five minutes in a minute in a little bit and, and explain just some of the some of the things that I think she does that's amazing. Yeah, and I think we might have another mic drop there, but she's just she she 
she's just an amazing. So yeah, so so then you know I was at LinkedIn, I was at LinkedIn for three and a half years, four years. And then I just thought, I just, I, I think I was in one or two meetings that made me just think this just isn't as important as mm-hmm. care. Yeah. And it, and it, and it sounds, it sounds strange, but I was in a meeting and someone was like, you know, we're trying to sell, we're selling like advertising, digital advertising. It's like, you know, we're selling this, they need this. They don't have it. They're going to, you mean, they're going to die. This is, oh, this, this, this piece of kit is oxygen. Oh, this is going to be the best thing in the world. This is, you I mean, this is going to be nothing else they need in the world. And I went, mm. no, nah, they need, people need care. Yeah. That's, that's what they need. They need, they need access to care. They don't need access to um, online banks. So and I said, you know what, this this is this isn't me done. I, I can't keep doing something where I, I don't fundamentally believe I'm making a change in the world. Really? And I think this was nice it was nice to do it mm-hmm. to learn, but it was distracting me from something that I, I, I felt very passionate about. So then I kind of went back into the business and we started cleaning stuff up. And and one of the things I realized was I had a lot of people trying to push um online solutions to us or technology to us but the technology wasn't doing anything. So you mean people nowadays you go, Oh, we, you know, we've got digital care notes. Okay, great. So all you've done is replace paper care notes, with digital care notes. What are you doing with those digital care notes? How are you unifying the way that those notes are coming in? How do you quantify any information? on that? Exactly. So, so for me, it was, you, we've got 10 at that point, we had 10 years worth of data that was sitting in a, in an archive. We started, so the first thing I did was like, okay, great. Instead of having these in folders and, and, and boxes, let's scan them. So we found a scanning company that's really amazing. We use them, we still use them now. And they scanned all of our paperwork. And then because of the way that they scan it, you can actually um, do, they create PDFs and you can actually search the PDFs from the scans, yep. from handwriting. So that, that, was, that was amazing. So now I've got 10 years worth of stuff sitting on, on, on one of our servers. So if I never need to search for, a file from five years ago and or search for a specific service user name, sort of word or something that's happened, I can just search that. But if you've got boxes, explain, I mean, if you're still using boxes, like some doctor surgeries still do, or like some hospitals still do, how are you going to, what's the point? Like if you've got to keep records for five years and you don't know where those records are and what actually, and, and you don't have, you know, things aren't archived, you know, then those, all you're doing is you're just gathering dust on pieces of paper. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and, I, and I think that's what so many people do is that, oh, we've got to keep the records. Okay, we'll just chuck it in the cupboard because no one cares about it. But actually there's so much valuable information in that. So what we did is we built, we built two systems. So we built our HR system and we built a, um, our care ID system. The HR system was was a fundamental loss because obviously in the care industry, you've got to make sure you're sick and you're on top of training you're making sure you're on top of supervision spot checks you've got to make sure you're on top of visas you've got to make sure that you're on top of um documentation dbs's um work permits the whole lot there's so many there's seven or eight different things that you have to stay on top of that could at any point one have um, hmrc come down and you have right. border control have cqc all these people if you can reduce that stress that's just something that's that's done and actually what you've got is if you've got a staff member from five years ago, you put them, you put them in a cupboard, but if you've only got a couple of staff, that's fine. But when you've got five or six, and I, and I came back and we had 10 filing cabinets with all our staff, um, staff information in, in them. What happens if you can't access those, those filing cabinets? What happens if you, if something, you miss something in there? What if you miss a piece of document that, that needs to be updated? 
So we created the HR system. And what the HR system did was it took all the information, we put it put it online, we created a very simple rules-based engine. So the system basically went through and looked at um, it looked at I mean what care somebody was doing alongside what training they had and flagged up if they, they were they were lacking a train a specific training. It also flagged up if someone when someone's DVS was coming up, when someone's visa was coming up, and even flagged up when someone's birthday. Because actually, we as a company we champion people's birthdays. So every staff member of staff gets half a day off for their birthday. Everyone in the office um, gets we get they get a present, they get a card, the whole lot. I mean that's and that, and that, and that and they get you know, a few other bits, but that's that's what we do. But we wanted to make yeah. sure that we had a system in place that did that. We then looked at all our care information was like, so we've got all this stuff on paper, we're signing it off. But if you're only signing off a week or a month at a time, and you're looking after somebody over maybe six, seven months, you might miss very simple changes because exactly. all you're doing is looking at information in isolation. You're not looking at the longevity of it. And you might have maybe two or three different people that might look at that, that document and sign it off. So I might look at it and go, okay, great. You know, Her mood's down a little bit. She's not eating a huge amount. Okay, great. I'm a second though, can we just check on that? And that changes in the next person, next person. Oh, no, no, it's all, it's all great. Three months later, it, it drops again. But because you're not seeing those peaks and drops and all you're doing is looking at each book or each week or each month as an isolation, you can't see any patterns. So with the care, with the care ID system, it starts to look at patterns in, in person's behavior. So it's looking at what that person's eating. It's recording their mood. It's recording the care notes. It's recording. And now you know, we've got integration with wearables. So we're also taking into account someone's, your, your, your bicycle data. And how do we take all that information, analyze that information, and then inform the person delivering care or providing that care on what's going on? How do we provide enough yeah. information on, on their, on their service at a service level to say, all right, right now you have, you have had an increase in service users that have, I don't know, dementia. You only have 20% of your staff that are trained specifically in that. To, to, to kind of plan forward, why don't you train an additional 20 staff? Because obviously we think this is what's going on and what, what we can see from an industry perspective. Sure. And I so, think, and I think just, just so I can, um, start to frame it for some of the listeners out there who, who, who don't do, do not come from that industry. Um, it is very important to understand that care does not exist in a point in time scenario. For example, if you just have your blood pressure taken, okay, that information um, that you're receiving in terms of your, the, the value is important, but what's more important is how does that relate to other activities and how does it relate to your blood pressure throughout the day? This is why monitoring is so important. So what, um, what I think you're, you're, you're framing there is the fact that now that you've got this data that's now relational. So you can make greater insights of the information of the actual care episode. So you can use that for further learning, um, tweaking, investigations, in, ensuring best practice, all of those things whereby if you just had data, just data, just sitting compartmentalized data, you cannot make those relationships. And that's, I think that is what is the richness. And I think your background is helping a lot in that. The fact that you have this um, coding, IT, um, not IT, IT is too broad. Technology. Technology, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got this technology background and you're bringing it to bear within a caring environment. Which is which makes your company very very unique to get that richness um, framed around and embodied by your mother's core values that, that brought you mm. into that. Because I guess 
my mom was, uh, just to digress quickly, just to, and support what you're saying, my mother was a, a matron as well, nurse. My background was mechanical, electrical, engineer, mechatronics. But because I used to drive my mom to work all the time, she'd tell me all these stories. Some of her values, some of her principles, and the challenges that she was facing, I wanted to help. That's how I got into the same space. And I think that's where we mirror each other, that our mothers, <laughs> we watched our mothers and we followed that and we brought skills from a different sector to bear in, in that environment to make sure that you can deliver better, smarter care. You know, so no, I, I, I totally salute you there in terms of the, the, the building, the rationale behind the two HR system, which is very, very important. And the care ID. So, which one do you lead with? Uh, which one's now taking up more of your 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 time? Care ID. Care ID is, is so. What we've done is we now incorporate the HR into, into care ID. So it's okay. one. It's it's one hybrid system. Um, I mean, and I think the, the benefits of of, of one, having one place. And again, I think one of the big problems you have in 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 health and social care is information sharing because inevitably information rarely passes backwards. So I mean, we really see information coming back from someone once they've been admitted into hospital. We rarely even get, we actually, in most cases, only now in some in certain instances, but you rarely ever see a discharge note from a hospital back to a care agency. You just know that person has been discharged. You don't know what they've had on the ward. You don't know what information has happened, what's happened to them. So you don't know how their care has been changed and what you're adjusting. You've just been told, right, you need, now need to go in and do these three things. Mm. And you go, but they need maybe a bit more than that. Well, we can't, I mean, it, we'll see. But when you kind of, because we've got sort of a, a, a business is split into two, so we've got you know, social services and private clients. Private clients get a lot of that information, so we can work a lot, a lot better, which means we can build systems that work very, very well for them and then pull that across and say, okay, this is what else we're doing. This is how we think we can benefit those work, those in the social care side of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so uniquely is, uniquely is not the right word, but I definitely know that we are definitely one of the only agencies that have started to build our own in-house tech and building our own in-house tech ourselves. So, and that's kind of where I think my background has led is you know, we went out and we weren't, we didn't try to build a HR system because there wasn't a HR system out there. I don't want anyone to believe, oh, they just went off and built one because they couldn't find one. No, we were trying to find a HR system at that point, sort of three years, three years ago, that allowed us to track DBSs, track visas, track, track passports, um, track where, um, and track um, eligibility to work, and also track holidays, and also have, um, hold any symptoms and uh, medical conditions that um, office staff had. So we would be able to support them if something went wrong. There was no system out there that did that. The closest system we found was an American system that was built in America that they, you know, we spoke to them and they said, yeah, we're happy to customize it. That was going to work out as something like 30,000 pounds a month. And I just went, there's, there's no way I'm going to spend best part of 300 grand a year to, to, to have a system. I might as well just, Go off and, and build my own. Build it, yeah. And that's what, and that's what we did. We, I, we sat down myself and my operations director. We sat down. And we, we said, okay, what do we want it to do? And what, and that, and that was it. What do we, what fundamentally, what we, do we want it to do? And how do we think we're going to save someone's time? Because what we don't want to do is replicate paper, which is what a lot of other systems do, and we don't want to create a whole lot more work for somebody. 
And we said, okay. So we stripped it back and we did, we did, uh, you know, Moscow, uh, Moscow rules and we looked at how we can make, we can do this in sprints. And I mean, I think we built the whole system in about less than six months and it cost us less than 20 grand. Oh, that's and it's, yeah. And it's been, I mean, it's still been used two, three years in to an extent. You know, we've had, we've had CQC and then CQC looked at it. We've had, um, we've had home office in to look at it and they've looked at it. it it's a robust enough system. It's secure. It's, and, it, and that, and that, I think that's where we took that. Whereas if I'd have gone off to somebody and said, okay, can you spec this out? I know for sure because then we then gave the depth thing spec to, to, to an agency and the agency came back and went, oh, it's probably going to be five to 700K and we're, we're probably looking at about a year or two, 18 months, I think is probably the time frame we think we can have this. We definitely think we can give you something. And we went, it's okay, thank you. We just wanted to engage to make sure we were on the right lines. And then again, when we were trying to work out what to do with Care ID, I mean, there was, at that point, I mean, there's some great companies out there, there's I mean, the likes of, of our system. But, what they were trying to do for us at that point was just replicating something. They were replicating paper notes and not doing anything more with it. What we wanted to do was make that process really, really simple for somebody inputting the information. But we wanted to take that data, analyze that data, and let the data inform better care decisions. So anyway, we, we've spoken to, we've got someone that works on the AI side and they've built a piece of AI that, you know, artificial intelligence or machine learning is probably the better word. Uh, because you know, true AI, but machine learning, which it's built in three layers, where it's trying to learn information, it sees information going into the system, and tries to infer what's going on. It tries to find find things that are missing, and go, okay, last I saw someone that had your that mood was missing that medication and wasn't eating. This is what happened. So I think this is potentially what's happened to this person. So it flags up that it thinks there was an, there was a correlation and an issue. And it gives you what it thinks it might be. It's not telling you it is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's helping to inform. Yeah. It's helping to inform the information. And what we then said is, okay, the only way we can look at that is because as a care agency, you're only seeing that snapshot. And everyone and everyone that looks after you only sees a snapshot. So your doctor only sees a snapshot. Your doctor doesn't see your care notes in the community. Your doctor doesn't realistically, in some cases, doesn't even see your hospital notes. They don't see other information. Everyone's looking at user snapshots. You said, okay, why don't we build a system to be the longevity of that individual's health? So no matter where you go, everyone is feeding into that one system. So the hospital system is pulling into it and showing, and, and showing that data. Your doctor's system is pulling into the one place. Your care notes and your care information is pulling into one place. Wearable information is pulling into one place. You as an individual is also inputting into that and being a part of that journey. So now you've got one unified place where all information is. It doesn't matter if the information is noise, doesn't matter if the information is pointless. It's one unified place where information lives, where you can then start looking at what a correlation, because you might go, oh, you know, you had a curry. Okay, fine. You had, and then you then go, oh, I've got indigestion. You go, oh, you've got heartburn. Mm. Well, I don't really, I don't really care about that. But you might go, well, actually, no, that heartburn isn't heartburn. Actually, it's, it's, you know, you've got an ulcer because you're eating spicy food because it's got turmeric in it and you're allergic to turmeric. Did you know that? And all of a sudden you can be like, now all of a sudden, because you're looking at the whole thing, but if not, you're going and you're going, oh, you, you, you kind of go, okay, I've got heartburn, heartburns. I'm using a minor case and actually probably use a better example. But you're looking, because you're, you're looking at these things in, in such isolation, by the time you go to go see a medical person, a doctor, or whatever, that in, that thing stopped, it's and they powerful. they can't check for that. 
Exactly. It's powerful. And it enables you as the, without going to technical stuff, it enables a clinician or care professional to be like Colombo. Be able yeah. to ask that Colombo just one more question and see the connections and join join the dots whereby before again it'd be sparse data gone um siloed that doesn't fit into a, a bigger picture. But because now you can make the connection, the AI is helping spot trends, you can be proactive, which is something that I'm real, I'm a big, big fan of in terms of health tech, um, bringing solutions that enable clinicians, care professionals to make informed decisions at the point of care. And again, I have to big you up, um, um, Nicholas, because not only are you, have you built something, you've built something in a timely way that is fit for purpose. And now your use case was narrow in the, in the scope of you looking at it from your own company's perspective in terms of what the agency required, but it's one that is expansive because you, what you, you managed to hit your marks on everything that you built this system for. And too often we, we end up having to bid for within health, particularly we end up having to bid for solutions that don't actually fit the use case completely. And that, and that, and therein lies a lot of waste within the NHS. There's so many software pieces of so, so much software and hardware that sits idle because it's never really fit for purpose. And this is where I salute companies such as yourself for being bold enough and having the, the, the knowledge and the passion to bring forward something into the market that is actually adding value in there. Um, so just in terms of, I want to get also the list to understand you, understand you, the mind that, that drives you, what, what's driving you and what's compelling you to push forward into, into this space. Do you know what? I think I've got, a, I, I think what's driving me is, is, you know, I, I went through some, a, a lot of hospital time throughout my life. You know, I was, I think when I was nine, I was run over and, and I spent sort of six, seven, eight months in, it was probably eight months, I think it was in hospital, uh, getting multiple injections. And I've, I mean, I've had, uh, a, a bike crash, which ended you know, a, a, my, my career. And I mean, that, that took out. I've had six or seven surgeries on my knee to remove bone fragments, to remove cartilage, to shave the knee, to repair um, torn ligaments. And I think the one thing I, 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 that really has frustrated me is each time I interact with a doctor, they ask me when I had my operation. They ask me when when that was. I don't know. I, I genuinely still to this day can tell you when it was. If I look at a map on a calendar, I can say, yeah, I think it was when I was 19 and it was this date. But the information sits in front of you. And, and it, it feels like our health and social care system is so disjointed and everyone keeps talking about it as our health and social care. Health and social care. Mm. It should just be care. Exactly. It's our care, it's our care system. It should be unified. One sole place where I have an investment in my health you have an investment in my health and we're all working together to be proactive in my health, not reactive. Exactly. Not, pres- not just prescribing medication. And I, and I'm, I'm kind of getting to the, and this might be quite controversial, but I'm, I'm getting to the point where I think the old idea of the doctor knows best and the doctor knows is the only person that knows about my health isn't right. I'm the one that knows more about my health than the doctor. Yep. The doctor knows from a medical perspective what might be going on, but I know what's going on. I know what's changing. And I think individuals and people need to know about themselves and their bodies 
to be able to, to, to articulate that to somebody else. Sure. And, it, and it, you have to understand what that change is. Even the smallest change you don't think could be something, you need to explain that because exactly. that could be a trip, something that's going on. Exactly. That's the, that's the whole empowerment movement whereby for for years, I think the medical model has been focused around treatment. As you quite clearly articulated, doctor knows best, matron knows best. You sit there idle and, and you're the recipient of care, whereby I think what you're alluding to now is, is flipping it. You know, the patient knows best. The patient um, can understand some of the tweaks, some of the nuances that they go through. Um, in terms of the day-to-day activities that could be, for example, raising their blood pressure. I remember when I, um, every time I had to go see a dentist, for example, digressing, every time I see a, d- a d- dentist, if you were to take my blood pressure <laughs> when <laughs> I'm sitting, waiting for, waiting to, waiting to go in, and then also when I'm lying down on that chair, you can find it's going to be raised. It's gone. Yeah. I'm terrified of it. But before I go to the dentist, I'm not, my blood pressure is, is fine. So this is why we're talking about point in time data all the time. doesn't really make mm. much sense. You need it over a period of time and bringing in data from other activities that actually mm. the patient knows best because the patient might not have the, um, the ability to tell exactly what happened this time last week. You know, in the, yes. U, in the, in the UK, we have something called, um, we used to have a program called Crime Watch or police, police five zero or something like that. I remember when? No, it's crime watch. Yeah, I remember crime watch. Was there was, was there one where they say keep your eyes peeled? What was that one? Keep your eyes peeled. Watch. Crime watch. And the guy said keep your eyes peeled. And he would say typically there'll be a situation where somebody has had a um, crime committed or there's been a serious car accident or something like that. And they'll say if you were at this train station, for example, last Thursday at nine o'clock, please call this number. Is that crime watch? Yeah. Wow. That, okay. That, that, that was crime watch. But it, you always think that the problem is, I think they realize is humans can only remember certain amounts of information exactly. for a particular amount of time. So you can't you can't ask somebody from two, a week or two ago and expect that everyone's going to remember. There's only a small amount of people that have that understanding yeah. of that information. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, I, and I think, so that's where I also advocate and, you know, we, we spend a lot of time to try and integrate wearable devices because you want to be able to track the information that's going on with somebody. But it's not because I'm trying to big brother or I'm trying to steal that data. But you, so me, for example, I can, I can say, I've had so many, I think I'm what, 11, 11 major surgeries, five or six, six maybe minor surgeries um, in my life. And so when I go to see my doctor, I'm not giving him what I think, I'm not going to give him one or two bits of information. I'm running the whole 24, 48 hours before something's happened, post something's happened and everything. Because I want to give them as much information as possible so they can be informed on, on, on that decision. And I'm also going to say, I don't think that, could work or it could be this. So when, so, but when I go in and say with my wife, so for example, I, I had a growing up, I had an irregular heartbeat, which 
which is still still there, really it's it, but it's there. So I got I got you know, I got blood pressure, I got an ECG machine in, in the doctor's surgery. I then got it again in hospital, I got given a twenty four hour heart monitor, I got given the whole lot. I even had to do a sleep one where they basically monitor me while I was sleeping. And it turns out it's only when I'm completely relaxed and it like in the middle of the night, at one point in the middle of the night, that they they they, they found that. But they have to go through three or four tests. Each time you go, no, it happens. I do feel it. It, it does happen. Mm. And for me to keep me to keep pushing, and this is you know, fifteen years ago, but me keep pushing for it to happen. So if all you're doing is, is to your example, bringing me in, putting me on a blood pressure cuff, I might be perfectly fine when I come in. So I might come in two or three times. I come in two or three times. Each time you do my blood pressure, like it's fine. It's a little bit high, but it's okay. So it's in it's in the normal tolerance. I'm going to stop coming in because I'm going to think oh, I'm just going to go in and waste your time. But also, what does normal tolerance means? Normal tolerance does isn't isn't what's normal for me. So what we what we've always wanted to do is build a system. So the system takes all that information in the background. So you're not having to physically keep constant inputting the information, but it starts to learn what's normal for you. So what is your normal blood pressure? What is your normal heart rate? What is your normal amount of steps? What is normal for you? And when that normal changes, how do we how do we look at what that why that's changed? And if it's changed in a way that we can't infer or find a variable for it, then there is a problem. Yeah. yeah. The heart, exactly. you, I mean, you probably know what's the heart rate range is what, 60 to 90? For uh, an average adult, yeah, eighty over one is typically normal. Yeah, but if I, but if I know for sure that my heart rate and my wife's is completely different. Yeah, if I ever get down, to, if I get to what my heart, my wife's heart rate is, which is hers is also within a normal, I might, I'm, I'm feeling very lightheaded. I'm going to probably, I'm not going to pass out, but I'm feeling very lightheaded and I'm struggling. But if her heart rate gets to mine, she starts thinking there's something wrong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they're, they're both normal. But what's normal for you as an individual? And again, it it, it goes back to, I, I fundamentally believe individuals need to be a part of their journey, their health journey, and they need to be owning that data. And, and that data needs to be feeding into a central place because that data feeding in, a doctor might go, okay, actually, you know what? This is a little bit strange for you. Why don't you come in and let's, let's, let's check you out? Why don't you come in and let's, and let's go? Which means, yes, you might go, oh, this is annoying. But if the doctor's calling you, you go straight in, you see that doctor, you're now being proactive. They've mm. picked up something. It, it, you know I mean, if you have, uh, most people have a stroke. Realistically, I know we've done so many TV adverts, but I definitely think if you ask the next 10 people you see, if someone's having a stroke, what does fast mean? I bet you only maybe one of those people that are non-medically trained will be able to tell you what that means. Yeah, but why? But why put? So why spend so much money on on something that people are forgetting and not paying attention because it, it's not relevant to them, so they're not going to think about it. Yeah, when you can you can have it, you can very simply have a system that monitors and supports that, and when something it sees something wrong, so you have a mini stroke, you're seventy percent more likely to have um, an, a full stroke in within twenty four hours. So okay, I've noticed there's a mini. Let me call you in. Let me make sure you're okay. Let me check you out. But actually, what I've noticed is the data isn't is meaning there there might be a problem. Actually, because of that, I might tell you, I might prep the hospital and tell the hospital, I think someone in the community might be coming in within the next twenty four hours of a stroke. So yeah. please be aware that that's what might happen. And all of a sudden, yes, you might go, oh my gosh, that's a lot of time wasted. No, because you're trying to save that person's life. 
Yeah. And because you're being proactive, the overall cost is going to be a lot lower. And, and this isn't about saving costs and equating a cost of someone's life, but it's not. What I'm saying is your overall your savings. So if your doctor calls you in and says, these are the things I'm seeing, why don't we quickly change this? Now that's proactive, that's extended your life. That's actually probably saved the time that you're going to be going to the doctor. Yeah, most definitely. The hospital, yeah. the hospital knows someone, someone in the community is, 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 is about has had a mini heart attack or might have a stroke or heart attack. They now, they now prep that someone's going to be coming in. When you come in, you're not waiting there. They're not trying to work out what's going on. The, the time that they're spending is ready at that moment in time to deliver the best level of care to you as an individual. Because inevitably, they're not trying to go, oh, who are you? Or what's going on? But also, that might not be your local hospital. So that hospital probably doesn't have all your information. You might be up in Scotland. But because they know you as an individual is there and that information is, is, is being shared, um, shared, they can go, okay, someone in this environment is going to be coming into us. Let's prep for this. And if we're not the right place, let's, let's, let's support them and put them, send them to the right place. So if we're not the right hospital for you to come into because, you're, because we don't have an A&E, well, we need to tell you because I, don't, I'm, I know where my nearest A&E is. But if you never go to hospital, you might not know where your nearest one is. You might not know that the nearest one has completely shut down. So right. you're just, you're then trying to find it and it, it just becomes, you know, we moved to a new, a new house two years ago in a different area. And I spent, I had to drive around to three different hospitals before I worked out which one had an A&E because in my mind, I thought all um, hospitals that had an ambulance with blue lights going in had an A&E. Exactly. For patients. Exactly. Or had, had a walking A&E. Didn't realize it was, it was different, but do you know what I mean? And, and I think that's where it is. If you, and so we created, so as I said, we created Care ID and then we said, well, we need to now start building the consumer. So Care ID was very much aimed at those in adult social care, but we realized that there actually there's a massive, uh, a bigger remit that this product can have is those individuals, just everyone. So by giving everyone a secure system where all their data is stored mm-hmm. and they can, they own that and they can give permission as and when they want to and they analyze that information. That is what our long-term mission is trying to be. And having that allows you to be, do remote patient monitoring, allows you to, to have unified care records, allows that when you're traveling, and this is a big one for us, when you're traveling, your records Go with you. You grant access to somebody in a new environment. That person writes information back into your care records. You come home, your doctor, your medical support team know exactly what has happened to you. You go to a dentist and a doctor don't talk. I get that they they don't know two different things. But if my dentist gives me Novocaine and I go home and I pass out and bang my head, they're going to go, oh, have you taken any medication? No, I haven't taken any medication. But how do I not know you just had some novocaine? That might be affecting affecting you. Exactly. You ask people, are you are you allergic to are you allergic to anything? No, I'm not allergic to anything. Why? I don't know because I'm, I, if you're healthy and you've never been to a hospital, you don't know what you're allergic to. You don't know if you're allergic to penicillin. Yeah, it's it's, it's massive. It's, it's massive. I just want to just correct something as well in terms of the the blood pressure readings. I should know better as a qualified nurse. Normally. <laughs> It's the other way around. Normally it's like 120 over 80. I think I've done 80 over 120. That'd be like low blood pressure. Just to put that one out there. And also, also I just wanted to um, build on what Nicholas was saying in terms of the, the value and having this data in a timely way, right? For example, the cost, as Nicholas kind of said already, you know, the cost to the service is reduced because people can prepare for incoming admission. So you, you don't waste time 
utilizing the ambulance, going to the wrong environment or wrong ward that doesn't have the right equipment or the wrong professionals, all of that kind of stuff. And he's talked about health outcomes. And this is what is key for me. This is where my passion and Nicholas's passion really, really connects because it's about improving the health outcomes. If people receive the right care, right, in the right time, ultimately the interventions are less evasive. Nicholas was talking about 11 interventions, 11 major operations. Okay. So these things are, are, are serious. So if you can then reduce the, the amount of evasive interventions on the, on a the person, they're more likely to have a better health outcome instead of this revolving doors syndrome, whereby people get discharged and within a few days or weeks, they're back in. So empowering the patient so that they can see quite clearly the nuances that they can tweak that has a, a direct effect on their health and well-being. And before we started this conversation, um, Nicholas was talking about um, incentives. How can we bring about a situation whereby you can put in incentives into a solution to help people engage better? Um, do you want to talk a bit about that as well, Nicholas? Yeah, so... It, it, it's a system we're, we're working on um, and we think we've got a, the formula down. But what it is, it, it, in essence, it's, it's rewarding individuals for living healthier. So if you, I mean, so it will be creating a, a digital currency um, that depending on how much exercise you do or how much you, and it's not, oh, you know, everyone that goes to the gym is going to get it. No, it's, it's how you are exercising based on what's normal for you and how you are changing your habits. And by doing that, the system then rewards you with, um, a digital currency, which you can then use in the, in the real world to pay for health services. So you can pay for yoga classes, you can pay for, um, to go swimming, to go to the gym. So it's, it's around leveraging the social prescribing element of it, but finding a way of rewarding people to, to make them be a part of that journey. So not just, okay, great, here it is, I'll do it, I'll, I'll move on. But you're trying to change the mindset and support the change in mindset of the individuals. Yeah. So if an individual, if, you, if you've never gone to the gym before, saying to somebody, oh, you know, go to the gym and work out for an hour, you're, you're missing the fact that that might be intimidating for that person. They don't know what they're doing. How much is that going to, how much is that going to cost them? But actually if that individual loves walking and that, you might say to the individual, do you know what, why don't you do? Yesterday you walked, you did 16,000 steps. Do you know what? You walk six kilometers. Why don't you try and do 20,000 steps today? Which is actually, which is actually, which is actually 10 kilometers or have how that equates to. And that person might go, do you know what? I've just walked 10K. People are talking about running 5K. I've just walked 10K. I feel really proud of myself. Yeah. So now, now that person feels happy. Now that person in a mindset feels a lot more better about themselves. So they're going to maybe want to do a little bit more. So they might go, okay, what I might do is I might, I might join a walking club or I might join a gym or, oh, you've now given me, given me this. I might go do a bit of, do a, a yoga taster session. Mm. And I do a taster session. I like it. So now I'm, now I'm doing yoga more and more, but because I'm doing yoga, I'm also generating currency, health currency, because actually I'm, my lifestyle and my mindset, my lifestyle has completely changed. Yesterday, I was eating 5,000 calories. Today, I'm eating 2,000 calories. I'm not telling you you need to cut the calories, but what I'm saying is you now, you're now eating healthier. Yeah. So inevitably, you're reducing, you're reducing your, your chances of, of diabetes, of chronic, um, chronic heart disease. So all of a sudden, now I'm rewarding you for that. I'm not telling you to lose weight. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm just saying, let's all live a little bit healthier. And because you're a part of that journey, you realize that the healthier you eat, the better it is. Wow. And then there's a bit of ed- there's a bit of education around. Yep. So you mean, I love I, personally, I love chips. I do. I'm, I'm a massive fan of chips. Do you like? Do you like um, yours? Um, um, done two ways. Like you fry it, then put it in the oven. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a massive, I'm a massive foodie and a massive cook. So I will, if I'm if I'm at home and I've got the capacity, I will. I normally boil them really, really quick, cold yeah. water, ice, leave them for a bit, mm-hmm. and then fry them in really, really hot oil, really, really quickly. Take them out, yep. put them in the oven, really uh, at high heat. Yep. Take them out, and then that's it. So you do. So it's yeah, kind of like I that. Three days. I know people. I know people do triple cooked chips and stuff like that. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I just, I just love because what you do is you get a nice crispy outer shell. You get a yeah. nice, nice fluffy. fluffy yeah, the fluffiness. Fry. Yeah, I don't really hear that that's spoken. Like it's the fluffiness of, yeah. of the potato. And what potatoes are you typically using for your um, chips? Uh, of late, I've been using Morris Piper potatoes because yeah. I think they, they give a nice little. What I like is they, they give a they're quite knobbly on the outside, so they're not they're not perfect. There's, mm. a, there's a little bit of crunch, but inside it's nice and fluffy. If you do the way that we do them, they're lovely. Wow. And also, I basically cook them sometimes if I'm if I'm being adventurous in a bit of rosemary oil. So when I'm putting put them in the oil, you throw a bit of fresh rosemary in there. And just let that that aroma come through. And, oh, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So, so what, what what I'm saying there is, you, you kind of take that something that I I love eating, which is in the oven chips, and you go, okay, if I cook them myself, already I'm stripping out half of the preservatives, I'm stripping out additives, I'm stripping out a lot of the the, the stuff that crap that comes with them. But also, potatoes are very rich in vitamins and, and and minerals, and they're really good for you. So now, actually, I'm yes, I'm I might be still eating um, chips, but I'm eating homemade chips. I'm eating a potato that I've just cut from scratch and put in the oven, which is better for me. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm eating that, because I've taken the time to cook it, and I haven't just banged in the oven. I've taken the time to cut it. I've taken the cut time to to do that process. That is now also meant I've been burning calories because open a packet of, of whatever chips, you, um, branded chips or non-branded chips you might have and put them in a tray and put in the oven is going to take what, less than three minutes mm. to cut, cut enough potatoes to make chips to then go boil the water to move around your kitchen, however big your kitchen is to cut those on a mandolin or cut them by hand mandolin or cut them by hand. That is taking your burning calories doing that. Yeah. So actually I'm now, I'm now, somewhat earning those chips and it's and it's that it's not trying to change big things you might go but not everyone has that time well actually we do clearly the last five weeks has shown that people do have a lot more time to slow down and do things properly and do things in a a, a slightly different way and i and i and i and i and i think that's kind of that's what we, I think that's what this, this kind of product is trying to do is, is not to try and say to you, let's change because you can't just say, you can't just tell someone to do a 90 degree turn and expect, expect that's going to change. I think I was saying to someone that I was my mentor yesterday is he, he said, Oh, you mean the way that sometimes you do things, it's not structured. You don't give me an action plan. And I go, no, because if I give you an action plan, all you're going to do is tick off that action plan. And then come back to me. You're not going to understand why and change your mindset. Mm. And I think that's kind of what going back to it, what I, what happened in that, that interview that was it it wasn't trying to go off a, a question sheet. It was basically trying to go, 
I'm trying to change your mindset. So let's make this really informal because that's because if I ask you questions, you're just going to rattle off the answers based on what you've got on the sheet. But if I try and understand a little bit more about you, I'm understanding your mindset. I'm understanding a lot more about you as an individual. So if you try and understand the individual, learn about their data, you try and change that mindset, but not change, but not completely do a 360, you've got the possibility of a long-term, someone adopting that long-term. Wow. And by, by influencing one or two small things, the long-term effect is they're going to understand why they're doing that and what the benefit of that is and how that can affect them as an individual. Wow. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and, and I'm not, look, I know there was a lot of other people that are saying the exact same thing. All I'm saying is I'm trying to do that from, we try to do that from a social care perspective. So we have our, I mean, our system is connected up to the likes of, 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 of Fitbit. We are connected, you know, we're working with Samsung we're on their S patch to be able to pull in, you know, I think we're probably one of the only ones in the UK that have it that are able to pull in a one, a one lead ECG in the community and that is you know medical grade approved so you, know, you can connect somebody up and a doctor can see that ecg report in real time and it gives you every last thing you normally get which means you can then say look i think you need to come in and, and actually connect to that properly most doctor surgeries don't have ecg machines i've got me i've got people in the community that are connected up to an ecg machine where most doctor surgeries don't have it yeah yeah so yeah i mean it's it, it's doing these small little things that that keep. All we're trying to do is we've built a platform that allows the data to be stored and analyzed, and we're just now building more and more on top of it. And we're just making sure that everyone sees that information. I'm not trying to tell you that you're you're having a heart attack. I'm trying to say, based on the information right now, there is a change in what's happening, yeah, and what's normal for you. And that's all I, I can't tell you it is because actually it might be. If I say you have a heart attack, you might go, no, I'm just, I'm just going for a run. Okay. That's a false, that's a false, um, negative or positive. You do the same thing again. No, I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm doing, I've heard some really horror stories, but I'm doing something else. Then all of a sudden, the next time, next time the system has it, the system goes, oh, it's, they're probably just exercising. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's when they, act, they actually need it. it. All it's doing is each time the same. This is what it's done. There's, there's a change. There's a change and change. If you think it's normal, fine but i'm just saying there's just a little bit of a change here and there you're adding great value within this space okay and um what i want to just start to close on within this show is how can people then get access to you and what's the best way they can reach out to you if they want to find out more <laughs> i think mean, you know what i'm I'd, I'd always say just email just email is the easiest way i i love engaging with people that are like-minded and want to think I'm happy to jump on a call. I'm happy to, you know, to meet, well, can't meet now, but normally happy to meet anybody to talk. I think I don't have all the answers and I don't think anyone, and I don't think anyone does, but what I think I want to do is, is to keep speaking to people so we can, we can put something together that helps because we're lucky to, to live in a country where we have uh, a national health service. There are so many people around as well that aren't, uh, aren't as lucky. And I think what we're trying to create to some extent is that, is giving everyone unified healthcare, is helping everyone to be a part of that, that health. And, and actually by making you understand what's going on, you're saving a lot of money and, and a system that is actually able to adapt. So imagine being able to, however you anonymize or whatever, being able to understand how a particular condition is 
is working in the community, how a particular medication is working in the community, and being able to plan services around that in real time, but based on information that's coming out of the community, not information that you can see from a couple of influxes in hospital. Yeah, that's valuable because typically the community sector, that's where you have data blind spots, particularly in care homes, um, social care, because of the historical imbalancing the use of technology you know a lot of money and resources was pumped into the nhs in terms of digitizing some of their processes but typically the we know that's true because even look at the social care green paper we've been waiting for that for the last two years it keeps on being kicked down the kicked down the road so because you're adding value you're illuminating a blind spot within um the social care environment and unifying it wrapping it around the whole care instance, I think you, you guys really, really are adding great, tremendous amount of value within this space. And we salute you at the Mic Drop Club for the, all the work that you are doing. And please reach out to Nicholas via email. All his contact details that he wants to share are going to be in the show notes. So look that up and we will have Nicholas on, on the show again to break down more technical things regarding his solution and the challenges that he, his companies is helping to overcome within the care industry. So on behalf of the Mike Top Club, Nicholas, we salute you. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, I just wanted to, just before I finish and maybe slice it in however, I just wanted to give you, just want to talk about uh, my mother who is, again, is the, that's why I continue doing this. She's the inspiration. One, because she's getting a lot older in her, her years, but two, because I, I want her to, to, to keep making her, her proud. She, over Christmas, Christmas is across the board and, and a little bit of an annoyance. Sadiq Khan saying that he wants to shut the train system down. That will destroy care in London from a community-based care and a hospital-based care because so many care staff in London leverage transport to get around. They do not have access to their own transport and they do not live close enough to their home to be able to walk to work. So. That's, that's me covering that off. So Christmas for us is a day that the whole train system shut down. So over Christmas, we get you know, 30 plus drivers in, we rent 30 cars and we, we hire 30 people that give up their Christmas day throughout the day to drive all our staff around. So all our care staff get picked up from their home and dropped off to their relevant, to their relevant service users. We run a, we run a hundred percent service. And in some cases in the last couple of years, we've actually increased where other providers have, have, have dropped. What we've, what we've done, and that this comes from us, or more, yeah, is us, is we've rented a kitchen for the last couple of years. And last year, we produced 200 meals for service users that didn't have family members or were able to make a meal. And we gave them all a cultural meal, and they, and they also, also got, um, some got turkey, some got um, roast fish, some got Caribbean food. But it was a starter, a main course, and a dessert, and a drink, Excellent. and a snack given to every last service user. Excellent. Oh, 200 service users that we, 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 that requested one that way that needed that service. And we've been doing that for the last sort of five, four or five years. My mom, at the end of every month, we have a massive company, um, company meeting where we go through everything that's going to happen. And we kind of give a look, we do the training, we tell all the stuff that's happening. And we most, mostly most stuff come in. She gets up at three o'clock in the morning and cooks nonstop until 11 o'clock when everyone comes in and prepares I, I can send, I'll personally send you a picture, but the amount of please food do, please she do. creates, because she wants everyone to feel 
welcomed. She wants everyone to feel like she's in it with them. Last the last couple of weeks, even over the last bank holiday, which was I mean two weeks ago, she was in the office working the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, the Monday. And I went, Why are you in the office? She went, Well, because my contacts at CTG are in are working in the hospital. I mean, Vassinina and Louise, they're in they're in hospitals. So I've got to support them because I know I want them to know that if they call and someone needs to be discharged from the hospital, even if it's a bank holiday, or if someone something something needs to happen or they need the information or they need support, they need to know that someone's here with them as well. And that that sort of mindset where she's Yeah, different breeds. Different breeds. Yeah, you get this kind of talk of the divide between health health and social care and, and it's like, well, no, there isn't a divide. On, on a, overall, there isn't because yeah. there are providers out there, and people out there that all they're saying is we are working in collaboration together. Okay, if you're there, I'm there. She still does care work. Look, she is doesn't need to. Doesn't, and I keep constantly telling her not to, but she does care work. Yeah. She 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 goes she goes. There's a service user she's got that um, that her daughter can't look after at night, but she goes in she goes in for two three hours a night and look after. Her. There was another service user she had that um, had dementia that every night relived the blitz. Yeah. And every night, my mom got up, she did, she'd, she'd, she'd look after this woman, she'd go into the house, she'd put paper on the windows, they'd tape it up, they'd sit underneath, they'd put, light a candle, and they'd eat a, a tin of sardines. And the daughter would be there. And the daughter's a doctor, which is, which is a shame, but the daughter was like, do you know what? No one else would do this. Yeah. Everyone else that we've had that's tried to look after just said they can't do it and walked away. You're the only person that's helping it. And it's not enabling somebody. There's no that's that's where she that's where she feels happiest. So you know what? She yeah. she she did your, that. Your 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 and, your mother deserves another atomic mic drop for that. Most definitely. Okay, Most guys, definitely. everybody ready? Atomic mic drop. Wow. Wow. And I know, and I know you can be, there's a lot more that your mother does and we will put a special mention to her in the show notes as well. Um, and this is why I really get upset when the government, and I'm not trying to politicize this conversation, refers to people as low skilled who work typically within this sector of care. That's the complete opposite. These are highly valuable industries. These are the, these are the, these should be the protected industries. These are industries whereby you are a true key worker. So saying or labeling somebody as low skilled, where somebody could be in an office and literally typing up notes or file of um, photocopying is something that's blue, white collar and is um, registered higher. What has taught us in the, through the coronavirus pandemic is to rethink a whole notion of what we consider as valuable. There are people right yeah. now in white collar jobs who've been working from home who are reflecting on the value they actually bring by going through an hour and a half an hour of rat race activities to sit in an office and then do the same five days a week. They're actually now thinking, actually, there's no value in what I'm doing. So we need to acknowledge the hard work and dedication of people within the care industries for, for their dedication. Because this goes over and beyond what is in somebody's job description. Oh, I, I definitely believe right, right now, if you look at right now, what's happened in, in, in a lot of, in, 
COVID is a terrible, terrible thing. And I'm, and I'm not, I don't want to speak on, on, on that side of it. What I'm going to speak on is, is the side that I can see and the side that I know. There are care agencies are still running the full service. And in most cases, they're having to increase. So care agencies haven't dropped. Care workers are going, are still going out into the community at no change. In most cases, and again, I can only speak in London, there's been no uplift in the wage that they are paid, but they are being told to take on positive service users. So you're now putting someone at a risk when everyone else in this country is, is wrong that. Councils are all working from home. Social workers are working from home. You know, I've, I've had, we had a, um, uh, an OT and a district nurse call us and say, can your care worker go in and do a FaceTime so we can do an assessment on the service user? And you go, oh, it's okay for them to go in. But you've been told that you can't, you shouldn't go in because you're, I mean, you might cause, you might get ill, you might get sick, mm. but it's okay for somebody else to go in and do it. And, and then it's, care workers are just going in and you know what you haven't seen? You've seen no grumbles from care workers. You've seen a lot of other people making complaints or being upset about this and the other. But when was the last time, when was the last time you saw a care worker complain about having to, to do it? Yeah. When was the last time they, they, they get up, they, they, they leave their houses, they go to work, they come home. They know they're putting themselves at risk, but they continue doing it because they have to, because that's what their job is. And they're doing it and they're not, and they're not, their service, the service level hasn't changed because they're still giving the attention. I think what, what I'm finding from our perspective is how this is care workers are struggling to be able to keep that distance because you form a bond with that individual. You, you like to joke around with that individual. You become, that person becomes not, isn't just a job that you're doing. That person becomes someone that you like, someone you, you care about, someone that you know intimately. So having to wear a mask, wear gloves, and and they wear a mask, and not being able to see their face, not being able to, to see their mouth when they speak, it feels so unintimate. It feels, and I, and I get we have to do this to protect everybody, but... Have a have a sense of somebody that's built a relationship with somebody and not able to, to continue that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 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 mindset is also they they're just going out and continue doing it. Because if you were I mean, if you and your partner had to both wear masks, both had to wear go couldn't couldn't interact with each other, had to keep a meeting apart, whatever, at some point it, people are gonna crack. Yeah. Exactly. 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 So you're you're on this you're in this space, you're operating within a space whereby you're bringing to bear your unique skills and your passions around technology and embracing that and, and making it work within an environment that really needs it because social care is a blind spot, is, is, is a black spot, is a blight in terms of data. You know, it's been the poor distant cousin for, for way too, too long. So on this yeah. platform, we want to promote, we want to push the narrative, you know, get the voice, get these conversations really heard so people can have that rocket fuel driven up their backsides into parliament so that the green paper can come out, targeted um, resources put into place, extra funding in place and have conversations with people such as yourself that run companies that understand what that environment needs, what that, um, uh, yeah, what that sector actually requires opposed to this top down you shall do this at X, Y, and Z. Um, the NHS has wasted way too much money. <laughs> so they must learn <laughs> and move forward. So uh, on that note, Nicholas, I salute you. Have a fantastic week and um, we shall catch up on the other side. Thanks, Douglas. This is amazing. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen. 
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out MikeDropClub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life. Make life boom. Boom.